Amen. If you could uh, come on back and, and find a seat. I am not Daniel Tomlinson, I promise you that. But I am here to introduce you to him. So uh, <clears throat> many of you know that I work for Compass Care uh, and I serve as, there, there are two main branches of Compass Care. One is patient services and one is advancement resourcing the mission. Uh, patient services is direct, um, direct care of and, and display of that mission and advancement is resourcing the mission. So Daniel Tomlinson, I've known for a dozen years, let's say. Uh, we've worked together, and he is, I'm the vice president of patient services, and he's the vice president of advancement. So we've been working uh, side by side, sometimes crossing paths in the, in the hallway because life can get really busy, and sometimes hanging out in the office and, and talking through things as our both branches kind of overlap, of course, throughout um, whatever, in the mission and throughout the day-to-day -day activities of, of Compass Care. So it's, it is honestly, I'm just, I've looked forward to this day because um, Daniel's and his family, unfortunately his family w weren't able to be here. And, um, they're just so close to my heart. They're, they're part of, uh, of my family from my, where I work. And then you all are part of my family where I worship. And now they, they come together and so that's just thrills my heart. So um, I, I, I love Daniel and I love his family and uh, I'm encouraged to welcome here and I encourage you to also warmly welcome uh, Daniel Tomlinson, my friend and the VP of Advancement of Compass Care. Thanks so much, Kathy. You got this fast. Yeah. <laughs> well, good morning. Uh, it, is, it is really such a privilege uh, to be with you this morning. I am... I've been really looking forward to this as well. Uh, when uh, Pastor John invited me to come, um, my, my family had the opportunity to come worship here uh, last year after uh, a time at uh, Camp uh, Hickory Hill there with a family camp. We had an opportunity to come and worship. And I just, uh, I love this aspect of, of my role at Compass Care, the opportunity to come and worship with so many uh, diverse and, uh, and um, different uh, churches that are all, we're all worshiping uh, the same God. We're all submitting our hearts and our um, lives before him, and it's uh, really such a joy uh, to be here. Uh, I have served at Compass Care for the past 12 years now. I have had the honor of, of being a part of what God is doing through his people to serve women and save babies. Uh, I'm married. I've got four little ones, five years old, three years old, two years old, and one year old, and um, three of those four were sick um, all last night, so they were not able to join this morning, unfortunately. Um, they were really bummed about that. They were very much looking forward to coming down. But um, <clears throat> I also, as Kathy mentioned, I have the honor of serving with Kathy Maurer. And uh, for those of you who get her, get her in the church environment, uh, you get Kathy Maurer in the work environment. It is a blessing to serve alongside her. And um, you might uh, also know that April Lonneville is on staff at Compass Care, and she is the scheduling team leader. At, uh, at Compass Care, and between April and Kathy, they won't tell you this, but they are responsible for and lead some of the most effective, if not the most effective patient services team in the nation. Um, yes, it's absolutely incredible. And they are responsible for the, the salvation of hundreds and hundreds of, of souls and thousands of preborn uh, boys and girls. Those two women, through what God has done through them, um, and uh, how God has used them. Uh, they, they are uh, doing something absolutely incredible uh, through the ministry of Compass Care. And um, so I, I want to jump into why Compass Care exists in the first place. I don't want to stand up here and just tell you about this great ministry, although I think the ministry of Compass Care is absolutely fantastic. Um, but more importantly, what are the theological underpinnings that uh, make Compass Care possible? Why is this church and so many other churches in Western New York and beyond uh, so uh, focused on helping not just the ministry of Compass Care, but serving women seriously concerning abortion, um, fighting against the abortion problem? Um, <clears throat> we got, we've got to look at God's word for our fundamental underpinnings of why this work is important and what the church is doing through Compass Care. And I want to start with, um, you know, kind of the, the main question to look at. What is man? What is man? 
You know, the psalmist asked this question in chapter uh, 8, Psalm 8, verses 3 through 4, reads, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? You know, this is a primary question that needs to be answered. All of our ethics and morality flow from answering this question and how we answer this question. What does it mean to be human? Who are you? What is man? And we can't answer questions like, is it okay to murder? Or what's wrong with genocide? Or is marriage between a man and a woman? Or can a boy be a girl or a girl a boy? Is there anything wrong with in vitro fertilization? Is homosexuality good or evil? Can I look down on someone because of their color of their skin, their sex, their intelligence, their bank account, their nationality, their weight? Um, What about capital punishment? What about sex trafficking? What about war? What about abortion? All of these questions and the answers, the how we filter and answer these questions stem from how we answer the question, what is man? And there are three primary ways that our world answers this question, what is man? Those three ways are we are nothing, we are God, or we are God's. You know, we are nothing. This is the argument of naturalism or, or materialism. Um, this is a religious belief. And it's, one, it's the one that is the, 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 the currently governing uh, the way that we do science in our nation, education, media, medicine, government. Um, they answer the question, what is man, with nothing much more than a complicated carbon bag. You know, listen to uh, what Bill Nye, the science guy, says. He says that we're just a speck on a speck orbiting a speck, in the corner of a speck, in the middle of nowhere. Carl Sagan, the famous uh, atheist, says, we emerge from microbes and muck. We find ourselves in bottomless, bottomless freefall, lost in a great darkness, and there's no one to send out a search party. See, if we are nothing, if we answer the question, uh, what is man, with we are nothing, this is the end point of that. In a world without God, they're correct. In a world without God, we, we are nothing. We are just a cosmic accident. Just a lot of time and a sprinkle of chance, and here we are. Meaningless entities wandering around without purpose or point. We're cogs in a cosmic computer, complex chemical reactions just bumping into each other without rhyme or reason. We are actually the ultimate unplanned pregnancy if there is no God. Unwanted, unforeseen, unnecessary. Left to build our own worth and meaning as best we might, as the uh, famous uh, atheist Bertrand Russell put it, on the unyielding foundation of universal despair. This is one of the ways that our world answers the question, what is man? We're nothing. Or we are God, or we are gods. This is the answer of mysticism. Uh, Rhonda Byrne in her book, The Secret, says, there is a God, and he is you. You are God in a physical body. You are spirit in the flesh. You are eternal life expressing itself as you. You are all power. You are all wisdom. You are all intelligence. You are perfection. We, we might roll our eyes a little bit at this uh, when hearing this, but this, this has been the standpoint of many Caesars, pharaohs, kings and queens, cult leaders and couch potatoes have believed this about themselves I am a God. Power resides in me. I give me worth. I am in control of my destiny. This is uh, human, human pride that knows no bounds. And rather than elevating humans, it actually levels all of living beings onto the same playing field. It flattens the world, claiming that every living thing has equal value, whether you're a plant or person or a little fluffy. We're all on the same playing field. The third answer is we are gods. We belong to God. And this is, this is the other option. This is the fundamental um, uh, principle that we must understand. And I, this is either true or it isn't true. This is either reality or it isn't reality. We either have meaning and purpose and worth and direction or we don't. The psalmist, going on in chapter 8, answers his own question. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him little lower than God and crowned him with glory 
and honor. Man is different. Human beings are special. We are actually the crown of creation, the apex of the created order. <clears throat> and everything that Compass Care does springs from this belief. This is, this is a fundamental building block of a Christian worldview, answering this question, what is man? It's a primary building block for us understanding because worldviews come in packages like, like puzzles or Lego kits. And they either all fit together and are into a coherent whole or we're left with various missing pieces. This is the foundational concept to the whole thing. Neither naturalism nor mysticism can satisfactorily, satisfactorily answer the question, where does man get our worth from? They presume human worth, but they can't answer the question why humans have value. They leave us begging the question. You know, if we climbed out of this primordial slime billions and millions of years ago, where does our value come from? We can't get value from slime. <laughs> we can't get value from uh, amoebas. If we are gods able to create meaning for ourselves and able to fashion ourselves into whatever image we fancy, then as Francis Schaeffer said, man becomes the measure of all things. And what we decide is right or wrong. And no other religion, no other worldview, no other system of belief can account for man's value, worth, dignity, or purpose apart from God. As you saw in the Compass Care Walk for Life weekend earlier, um, Jim Harden, Compass Care CEO, is introducing this word or reintroducing this word inviolable, which gets at the very heart of, of who we are. We're equally invaluable not to be violated because we are all made in the image of God. He's the one who gives us worth. He's the one who says what is right and wrong. He's the one calling the shots. All other Morality claims are, as G.K. Chesterton quips, they are a morality that has its feet firmly planted in midair. This is why we are so passionately pro-life. Not because of a political position, not because of our upbringing, but because of who God is, of his character and nature, and who he's made us to be. This is why we can say abortion is wickedness. This is why we can look at the destruction, the willful destruction of innocent human life in the womb and say, that is evil. Because there's a standard by which we're measuring our truth claims against. So I want to take a look, a deep dive into Scripture to, to, to uh, reinforce that we are God's. We are His. Um, we're going to look at image of God created, image of God broken, image of God restored, and image of God restorers. Let's ground this fundamental principle in Scripture, not in our own opinions. We're going to walk through that together. So if you have your Bible with you, you can take a look at Genesis chapter 1. We're going all the way to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Let's read God's Word. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seeds in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And skipping down to verse 31, and God saw everything he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, <clears throat> the sixth day. This is our starting place. You know, Genesis, this is our origins. This is the beginnings. This is where everything about where we believe about the world and each other stems from. If we get this wrong, who man is, what is man, we'll get so much incorrect downstream. See, in this passage, we see God differentiating man from the rest of creation. Human beings, I'm going to say a lot of outrageous things this morning, human beings are worth more than animals. And it's not because there's something, there's, there's no other reason for it except for that God himself, the creator of the universe, says so. He says so. 
And this, this, this capstone of creation that he calls mankind, the top of the pyramid, the, this, this origin story reveals our essence. God puts his mark on us, in us actually. And without it, we're, we're no more than beasts. Without this mark, without this stamp, we are no more than any of the other creatures that are created by God. See, our worth cannot come from any other source. He imprinted us with his image, and it's in us, not on us, as if it could be removed. It's inside of us. It's core to our very being. It's inherent to who we are. It's in us. It cannot be removed. It can be tarnished, yes. It can be obscured. It can be damaged. But it cannot be taken from us. It's, it, it is inalienable. We know that word, right? <laughs> from the Declaration of Independence. It is inalienable. You cannot separate out our image bearing from our being. It is impossible. And we are not human without this mark, this imprint, this reality. We all have, every single human being, every single person in this room has that beauty mark from God Almighty. This stamp, this imprint, this fingerprint of heaven on our insides. And we are all equally valuable because of it. We all have intrinsic value because of it. Without this truth, without this truth, we can carve out exceptions. And we can say to an entire category of human being, you're not valuable or you're less valuable. We are also, we are equally valuable. We're also equally invaluable. Now, now that might be, sound like just, uh, just some semantics here, but it is essential for us to understand that human beings are invaluable, meaning you can't put a measure on a human life. You cannot put a price tag on a human life. It is priceless. It is immeasurable. You know, think about this scale. If we had this scale, this kind of cosmic scale, and we put a human being on one side of that scale, what are you going to place on the other side of that scale to even it out? What can you place over there? Is it career and accomplishments? Is it money or stuff? Is it uh, Mother Earth? Is it status or reputation? Is it standard of living? It's our image bearing of our creator is why we can say abortion is evil. And it's also what makes salvation possible. Our ability to experience the grace of God is not something that any other created being is able to experience. We are made in the image of God, so we have a moral culpability that no other creature in the universe has. We are made in the image of God so we can approach God and be in relationship with God in a way that no other part of the created order can. <clears throat> C.S. Lewis says it like this, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. Their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors, or everlasting splendors. See, because we are made in the image of God, because God made humans in his image, we are responsible for filling his earth with, his, with worship of him, displaying his glory to the ends of the earth as we saw in chapter one here. And then as we see in chapter three, where we're gonna move next, <clears throat> it all went dreadfully wrong. So we have image of God created, now we have image of God broken. Turn to chapter 3 of Genesis, the first few verses here. This is the big crash. This is the big crash. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field, in verse 1 of chapter 3, that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together 
and made themselves loincloths. And this is probably one of the saddest verses in the Bible, right? This verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And it goes on from there, and, and God dis, uh, you know, uh, describing the curse that they have brought upon their heads. This is the fall, right? This is where everything took this turn. Image of God created. Here's what I've done. I've set up this perfect world. I've, I've set you in the garden to go and make the entire world, to spread my image across the world. And mankind chooses our own way. And everything is affected. Everything falls. Creation groans. The world is broken. We are broken. And it's not as it's meant to be. It's all gone dreadfully wrong. The evil is out there in the world, and the evil is in here, in the human heart. It was all very good, as we see in chapter 1, verse 31. And then by chapter 6, verses 5 through 6, we see that it is all very bad. There's evil continually, Scripture says. Everything was working according to its purpose, perfect peace, perfect relationship, singing in perfect harmony, in perfect lockstep with the God, our creator. And then the nuclear bomb of sin explodes and the degradation of the world and each other begins. Broken pieces everywhere, discordant note after discordant note, relationships with each other, the world and God broken, confused and messy. The very first sin of Adam and Eve, like ink dropped into a piece, onto a piece of paper, spreads out until we see the institutionalization of this evil in Cain and his offspring. And by the time of the flood, the entire fabric of human society, its institutions, its members, its ideologies, its practices, were so compromised and corrupt that the thoughts and intents of all of man's hearts are described as being only evil continually. Brother killing brother within one generation of the crash. Creation rising up raw and tooth and claw to combat the efforts to bend it to its will. Death, disease, distrust, disharmony, everywhere. And, and, and mankind is not just broken, we are guilty. We're not just broken, but guilty of rebellion and sedition. See, we're not just machines that need a tune-up. We're rebels that need a, that need a change-up. We're, we're insurgents, mutineers, terrorists, pirates, revolutionaries. We're not just broken from sin, but we have a high-handed level of treason against the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But our, but our inviolability did not go away. Our image-bearing of God did not disappear. Flip over to chapter 9. After the flood... God is talking to Noah, and he says in verses 5 through 7, he says this, And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will requ require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply, team on the earth, and multiply in it. So despite the fall, despite the fall, even marred by sin, we are still creatures made in the image of God. And, and, and we see God here instituting the first civil law. Don't shed the blood of man. He gives the reason why we don't shed man's blood. And why is that? Why is murder described as a capital punishment here? Why should we not shed the blood of man? For God made man in his own image. God implements a system of justice with punishment for those who disobey. God gives man worth. He gives him dignity. He gives him value. It is because there is a God that it is wrong to murder. That's why it's wrong to murder. No other reason. That's why it's wrong to murder. Because there is a God and he's made man in his image. And it's because there is a God that it is wrong to steal, that genocide is wrong, that rape is wrong, that euthanasia is wrong, that polygamy is wrong, that incest is wrong, that sex trafficking is wrong, that porn is wrong. All of these other sins that we see, all of these ripple down, all of these stem from the fact that man is made in the image of God. Every single one of them. Human dignity, human value, human worth is not bestowed by government or family or any other institution. It's either acknowledged and protected 
or it's ignored and trampled. God's image cannot be erased. It is inalienable. It can be broken. It can be disfigured. It can be defaced. It can be sullied. It can be spoiled. It can be consumed by sin. And we see that everywhere we go, right? So what does this have to do with abortion? This has everything to do with abortion because abortion is either the greatest injustice in the history of the world or it is no big deal. It is either the killing of an innocent human life, the, uh, life, the, most, the most weakest and vulnerable of our society, or it's just a woman's choice. 40 to 45 million pre-born boys and girls are killed every single year around the globe. 40 to 45 million. Here in the U.S., we see around 800,000 babies killed in the womb in our nation. Land of the free, home of the brave. 800,000 pre-born boys or girls are killed every single year. 65 million, an estimated 65 million boys and girls since 1973. The Roe v. Wade decision that said, and I quote, the word person does not apply to the unborn. Think about that for a second. The highest court in the land comes along and says the word person does not apply to the unborn. Completely stripping all personhood and telling an entire category of human beings, you are no longer people and you are no longer protected under the law. You know, I don't usually quote uh, Stalin on a positive way, um, but he was right about this. He says, if only one man dies, that is a tragedy. If millions die, that's only statistics. And he's right about that. We hear these numbers, 800,000, 65 million. And if you're anything like me, they can just whoosh by you. And I want to bring up a video here that kind of drives home, audibly drives home, the, the massive scope of this injustice. If we could play that video, The Sound of Abortion. You want me to keep talking?
So I think you got the essence of that twice. Um, <clears throat> the, the number of human life lost to abortion. And that, that, um, that talk or that video is five or seven years old now. You'd have to add several hundred more BBs and to get the same effect. There's just a cascading of those BBs, 10,000 lives. They represent 10,000 lives lost um, each, each BB. Um, abortion is a symptom of this broken world. It's, it's a symptom. It's a bitter fruit of man's rebellion against God. A, a heinous side effect to our cultural malaise. Uh, you've got individualism and hyper-autonomy, materialism and consumer-driven consumer decision-making, a breakdown of marriage and family, contracepting away the future, a viewing children as just another consumer item or accessory at best, or, or seeing them as burdens to be endured rather than blessings to be enjoyed. The acceptance and celebration of sexual morality. We see this, the, the, the ramifications of this mindset, and then we see it most starkly most black and white, and the fact that we, as a nation, we kill preborn boys and girls in the womb. And we do it at a scale and a scope never before seen in human history. We live in the abortion capital of the U.S. New York State is the abortion capital of the U.S. We legalized abortion three years before Roe versus Wade. We have some of the most permissive abortion laws in the world after China, North Korea, New York State, that's where we are. Not the list you want to be on when it comes to human rights. One out of five pregnancies end in abortion. And in 2019, with the Reproductive Health Act, abortion became a fundamental human right. Life is a fundamental human right. And our government has said that abortion is a fundamental human right. And this comes down all those numbers aside, this comes down to a woman and her preborn child. Again, we've got, to, we've got to have this sense of this scale. You put that baby on one side of the scale, what do you put on the other side to measure that baby's worth? How do you choose between this baby's life and what's going on over here? Between career or the child's standard of living or this life? This is the reality of abortion. C.S. Lewis again, he writes, the greatest evil is not now done in those sordid dens of crime or even in concentration camps and labor camps. It is conceived and ordered in clean, carpeted, warmed, and well-lighted offices by quiet men with white collars and cut fingernails and smooth-shaven cheeks who do not need to raise their voices. There's a sterility to it. There's an acceptance in the medical community of it. And, and, and it is pure evil. All of this, not just abortion, is the fruit of forgetting God and what man is. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the, the famous Russian author, summing up the devastation of his, of his country and the death of millions of his people in communist Russia, wrote one, one word summary, men have forgotten God. That's how he summed up the entire devastation of his nation. Men have forgotten God. Because this is not, and this, and this, brothers and sisters, is not a problem that more education can fix or that law can fix or that a philosophical construct can fix, that sociology or economics can fix or politics can fix. This is not a problem that any of those entities can fix. Only God's people, only God's agent of transformation in this world, only what the message of truth that gets at the very heart of why abortion exists in the first place, will uh, eliminate abortion from our nation. Because where there was spiritual life, there is now spiritual death. Where there was freedom, there is now slavery to sin. Where there was intimate friendship with God, there is now distance and enmity. We are guilty with no hope, lost and adrift, deserving death and damnation. This is our status, image of God after the fall. And because our souls bear God's own image, we are beautiful. And because we've rebelled against God who gave us that beauty, we are broken, guilty, and lost. As Romans 6 says, for the wages of sin are death. There's only one answer to this guilt 
We need rescuing, and we cannot rescue ourselves. So let's get into the good news. Image of God restored. So we've looked at image of God created, image of God broken. Here's image of God restored. Flip over to Colossians chapter 1. The rescuer has come. Colossians 1, 15 through 19 reads, Speaking of Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Christ is the perfect image of God. He is God revealed. Jesus Christ makes the invisible visible. You want to see what it looks like to be made in the image of God? Look at Christ. Jesus is God personified. He is the exact imprint of God's will. Personified divine wisdom. The image of God perfectly displayed. Hebrews 1.3 says it as this. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And if we have any doubts whatsoever about man's value, Christ's Incarnation as a man completely removes it. Jesus' incarnation reinforces man's value. Remember our scale? What are you going to place on the other side of that scale that would even come close to measuring, being able to put a measure or a price tag on human life? And Jesus' incarnation says, my life. My life is the only thing that is able to measure out that scale. The incarnate one. He alone is able to measure man's worth. What do we put on the other side of that scale? God himself. Only he can measure human value. Our inviolability stems from him. We are special because of him. And while our culture denies this, we as the church, we as the people of God, proclaim this. Christ glorified God perfectly. He reflected God's image perfectly without error or hiccup. He lived a perfect life. He died a perfect death. He was buried. He rose again so that we can be restored. So that our image bearing of God can be restored. The brokenness can be fixed. The great tearing can be mended. The tarnishing can be wiped clean. And this applies to abortion. What about those who have firsthand experience with abortion? You know, if you have experienced the soul-tearing nature of abortion, if you've lost loved ones to abortion, if you're sitting here having lost a son or a grandson or a niece or a nephew or experienced it either with a loved one who went through with an abortion or you yourself, we don't sit here in condemnation. We sit here saying, God is in the midst of restoring. He has rescued us. And if you're sitting here not free from the burden of past abortion, the message to you is the rescuer has come. Abortion is not an unforgivable sin. You know, uh, we often can have a wrong view of grace. Grace just pushing a sin under the rug and just saying, it's all fine, it's all good. But actually what grace does It says in a kind and firm voice, yeah, your sin is bad. Your sin really is that dark. Your sin really is that heinous before a holy God. And this is why it takes the Son of God coming to earth to die on behalf of it. Grace, rather than making light of our sin, actually reveals it for what it is and says, and my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. When we see how dirty our sin is, how bad it really is, anybody else experience this? I can remember moments in my life where God just takes off the blinders and I see my sin and I just go, Lord, have mercy on me. That is bad. That is evil. 
I, I think that? I do that? Is that really how I am? And he says, yes, that is. Now let my grace deal with that. He doesn't hit us with the club of condemnation. He hits us with bucket loads of grace and says, my grace is sufficient. That is the sin I died for on the cross. My blood is sufficient for that. I've covered it. It really is that deep. It really is that broad. It really is that all-encompassing. It really is an ocean in which we can be washed. Rather than making light of our sin, it is making much of our God. Much of our God. This is the image of God restored. I came across this old hymn the other day as I was reading, and I was just struck again. I think it was written in 1665. And I'm just struck again by God's faithfulness through the generations. Here I am reading words from several hundred years ago and just being so uh, convicted and so having my heart so warmed by, the, by this, this hymn. And, and it's really a, a prayer of um, the gentleman's name is uh, W.T. Sleeper, for those of you who, who care. So anyway, interesting name. But I want you to just listen to these words, these truths, um, and let them just minister uh, to your heart. He, the, the, the hymnist writes, Out of my bondage, sorrow and night, into thy freedom, gladness and light, out of my sickness and into thy health, out of my want and into thy wealth, out of my sin and into thyself, Jesus, I come to thee. Out of my shameful failure and loss, into the glorious gain of thy cross, out of earth's sorrows, into thy balm, out of life's storms, and into thy calm, out of distress to jubilant psalm, Jesus, I come to thee. Out of unrest and arrogant pride, into thy blessed will to abide, out of myself to dwell in thy love, out of despair into raptures above, upward for I on wings like a dove, Jesus, I come to thee. Out of the fear and dread of the tomb, into the joy and light of thy home, out of the depths of ruin untold, into the peace of thy sheltering fold, ever thy glorious face to behold, Jesus, I come to thee. If you do not know Christ, if you have not come to Christ, this message is for you. The ink blot of sin has permeated society and stained each human heart to such an extent that we have forgotten God, we rebel against God, and God's word says, come, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. And if you do know Christ, this message is for you. We need to be reminded of these truths. We need to be reminded of the fact that his grace is sufficient, and it frees us. We are given a new nature, a new heart. Our ability to reflect the image of God for his glory has been restored and is being restored. And now he invites us to participate with him in that same work. This is the fourth point. Image of God restores. We're being remade into the image of Christ. We're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. And we're being entrusted to be mini Christ, little rescuers, little restorers out in the world. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. He gives us, his new creation image bearers, participation in the ministry of reconciling other human beings to himself. We have the opportunity. We are given and, and tasked with leveraging our power, our influence, our voice on behalf of the dehumanized, on behalf of the weak and the vulnerable, on behalf of those who are still living in a tarnished image-bearing reality. We get to leverage what God's given us on behalf of the weakest and most vulnerable of society. And this is why Compass Care exists. The ministry of Compass Care is just a rescue mission. It is seeking to restore what has been broken. 
The mission of Compass Care is to erase the need for abortion by transforming women's fear into confidence because it is fear that is driving these decisions to get an abortion. Women get abortions because they feel alone and unsupported. And the church comes alongside and says, no, you are not alone. No, you are not unsupported. We are going to love you because you are made in the image of God. And we're going to love your child because that child is made in the image of God. And we're going to leverage all of our resources on behalf of of meeting you in this moment of crisis and helping you navigate your decision to such a way that you don't see us as a solution, the killing of that innocent human life, but of carrying that, that human life to full term. See, the women that come through Compass Care's doors have been lied to their entire life about their value. They have no understanding of their image-bearing reality. So Compass Care exists to rescue her, to restore her, help her understand her value in the eyes of her loving father so that she can, in turn, love and restore this child. They feel the need to get an abortion. They don't want one. They feel like they need one. They're being forced and coerced into a decision they wouldn't otherwise make. And this, Compass Care, all of what Compass Care does, what Kathy does with all the nurses at Compass Care, what April does with the scheduling line, is geared towards meeting her in that crisis moment where she is looking, she is looking down the path of death and saying, I've got to walk this path. And Christians come alongside her and say, no, there's a path of life. Let me point you. Let me help you point you in that direction. I want to invite Kathy back up here just to share with you a story of how this happens, how, how this works. Um, and then I'll come back up and we'll just close out for this morning. Come on up, Kathy. Thanks, Daniel. I get to do this. I get to do this every day. So what a thrill. Um, and I do... Um, I do want to just take a quick minute to acknowledge uh, the gift of God to this life, and that's Pastor Chris on his birthday. I wouldn't be doing this if he didn't minister such grace uh, throughout the past 30 years, really, um, because I came to understand salvation and grace, and, and it equipped not only me, but you know April and Chelsea, who also serves on the scheduling team, and Jenny, my daughter-in-law also uh, part of this church. So Family Life Church has been an integral part of the ministry of Compass Care, even though it's an, an hour north. And uh, I want to acknowledge Pastor Chris on his birthday and thank God for his life as a gift that has equipped the saints to do the ministry. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Pastor Chris. Amen. So Daniel asked me to share a patient story, and I thought, mm, uh, let's see, what, what, what will I share? And I thought about the young lady that uh, I spoke with last, uh, it, was, it was a little bit ago, but she was had a scheduled uh, abortion for, uh, she was 34 weeks. Yeah, that's almost eight months. Uh, and she was gonna travel to get this surgical abortion to take out the life of her son. And it was very, very close. And what a relief it was to discover, in fact, that she decided to continue I was going to tell you about the young lady, Jabra. She's a dear friend, now uh, a patient. Um, but there's a video on compasscarewalk.com where she tells her whole story, and you should go see it because she's absolutely delightful. She decided to change the course of her abortion. She was in the middle of abortion. She turned it around, and now she has a beautiful son. I was going to tell you about the call I got just a couple days ago from a woman who only just found us when she was sobbing on the phone because she, she, she didn't know about Compass Care two months ago when she discovered she was carrying twins and about, about to have an abortion, and, and she did. So I'm going to meet with her tomorrow to talk about the devastation she feels, and, and she really has surrendered her life to the Lord to find uh, forgiveness and healing, and she's walking in that, moving more and more into that. What I'm going to tell you a recent story that I, ha- I had of a patient uh, who came in and um, I sat with her and she was really quite alone in the world. She had an eight-year-old, she has an eight-year-old daughter and um, newly pregnant. And I asked her, I said, do you have any support at all? You know, and she just, she just got a, a job. She'd been unemployed for quite a while and really quite alone. 
Then I, and she goes, just one, just the father of the baby is my only support. Um, and he, he's in jail right now. He's in Monroe County Jail. And I said, okay. So I'm like, you know, sometimes people say that. And I'm like, well, if you were to get stranded in the middle of the night, ran out of gas, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, your 8-year-old's in the back seat, who are you calling? And she looked at me and she just shook her head. She goes, Woody. And I broke my heart. And I leaned over and I touched her and I just said, will you call me if that ever happens? Because as any of you would do, you'd do the same thing. Like, how do we have people living in such close proximity but nobody able to support and care? Mm -hmm. And I, I went ahead and I, I, you know, we continued with the, the appointment and uh, saw a, uh, a seven-week-old baby. And she was relieved, actually, that there was a heartbeat. And she could hear it. Um, and she got her, 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 the father of the baby, her boyfriend who's in jail, on the phone. He was able to call out for a period of about 10 minutes um, at that, in that call. It was af just after the ultrasound, so she ex explained what she'd seen and what had happened. He said, oh, my, that's awesome. Then I went ahead and I said, listen, we've got a lot of resources that we can help connect you with in Monroe County that will help you do what you think you can't do right now. What would you like? Is there, you know, we have, we have a, a, a mentor from a local church, a, a, a woman who would be willing to walk with you through your pregnancy and after. And she said, yeah, I want that. So we made that connection. And then there's, you know, financial resources, material resources, counseling, and physicians. And we have so many, hundreds, hundreds of agencies that are willing to help um, women in this situation. And then I put on a church there, and then I, I, I said, sometimes people find value in faith-based community like this. It's a church that we know support is supportive. And she said, yeah, that makes sense. I said, do you believe in God? And she said, yeah, I do. And I asked the young man on the phone who's listening, we'll call him Mark. <laughs> it's not his name. And I said, Mark, do you believe in God? And he said, yes, ma'am. I said, me too. In fact, I believe that we're here on purpose together because he wants to communicate something to you. He really likes you. And there's a reason that we, we live outside of peace or outside of hope. And it's because we've all, every one of us, decided to do our own thing. Mm -hmm. And we came separate from this one that made us in his image. We're no longer with him. And there's nothing we can do. No amount of going to ch church, no amount of good deeds is going to get us connected. And we're in a hopeless situation. Except that God loved us, you and me so much that he sent his son to show us what it looks like that God our Father loves us. So much so that he gave up his life because that's what was required to bring restoration or reconciliation between man and God, their creator. I said, have you ever heard that before? And you know, I say this a lot. I, I've shared the gospel many, many times and, and very often they say, I've never heard that before. I'll say, well, it's just the gospel. That's the news I believe that God wants you to hear today. And in fact, I believe he's inviting you into a relationship with him in this moment. Would you like to do that? Tears in her eyes. I said, would you like to surrender control of your life to Jesus Christ right now? And she said, yes, I would. I said, Mark, you're here too. Is that something you would like to do? Right through the phone. Would you like to surrender control of your life to Jesus right now? He said, yes, ma'am. I said, can we, the three of us, pray together and just invite him in to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to reconcile us with this one who made us through faith in Jesus, Amen. and then surrender our lives so that he gets to call the shots and we don't anymore? And they said, yeah, let's do that. So we prayed together. And as they, as I helped witness <laughs> this beautiful uh, reconciliation between God, the Father, and his two children. Thanks so much for uh, listening. I'll, I'll hand this back to, to Daniel. Yeah, I got to, you don't have to hand it to me. <laughs> Praise God. That, you know, that, that is, um, <clears throat> it's just what we get to be a part of as the people of God. 
we get to be a part of what God is doing to uh, change the world. We get to be a part of what God is doing to change um, one life at a time. Uh, he, he, he allows us to be a part of his ministry of reconciliation, to share the truth of what he has done in our lives, what he is doing in this world, and what is available to every single person who puts their faith and trust in him. And our foundational beliefs about what is man, our fundam- these, these, this fundamental principle is not just this theological construct that we keep up on the shelf over here. No, this comes out our fingertips. This is practical theology. Our beliefs drive our behavior. What we believe about who man is, what is man, is, how, is what drives how we treat one another. We look at the huge problem of abortion and the only entity who both cares and can do anything to fix it is the church. Only the church has the answer to the abortion problem. Only the church is equipped to, uh, to deal with the underlying disease that leads to abortion in the first place. No one else can do this work. No one else cares to do this work. No one else recognizes or cares the value of the preborn child the way that we as Christians and as the church recognize the value of that child. And I just want to close with this proverb from 24.11 that reads, Rescue those who are being led away to death and those who are staggering to slaughter. Oh, hold them back. This is our call. This is our, uh, what God has entrusted to us, the ministry of reconciliation. He's born us in this time, in this generation, with the greatest injustice happening right now, living in the abortion capital of the U.S., where more abortions are happening than anywhere else in the nation. And he's given us the opportunity to do something about that, to leverage what he's given us on behalf of the weakest and most vulnerable. I want to just close with a word of prayer. I'll turn it over to Pastor John. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for each saint sitting here this morning. We thank you for each brother and sister in Christ made in the image of God, given the Holy Spirit to do your work in a hurting world. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to to use what you've given us on behalf of others whether it's a woman facing an unplanned pregnancy, whether it's a child in the womb, um, whether it's a, another mission um, or, or, or um, opportunity that you've given us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to use what you've given us well, that you would stir our hearts to, um, to operate out of the grace that we've been given, to spread that message of grace to others, that we uh, have been reconciled to you And we've been given the opportunity to help others be reconciled to you, to come into relationship, to close that gap um, between man and God. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit who does this work for opening our eyes and our hearts to know you and to know our own value and the value of every single person around us. Help us to love others as you would have us to love them. We pray all this in the name of your precious Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Daniel and Kathy, so much for coming and sharing uh, about Compass Care, which is such an awesome and wonderful ministry. So our church has been connected with Compass Care in a unique way over the years because as they shared, Kathy and April and Chelsea and Jenny and Ashley and so many people from our church um, have been a part of Compass Care and worked there. And what I wanted to do this morning is I wanted to ask you to consider how you might be a part of Compass Care, how you might support the mission and the the vision of Compass Care. Maybe you want to sign up to be a part of the walk, or maybe you want to sign up to be a part of the prayer team. Um, But there's a lot of ways that you could help support this valuable ministry. Um, And I'd like to see our church take a step of further connection with Compass Care, not just for those specific people that work there, but for all of us. I don't believe that God has had Uh, These women be a part of Compass Care just for them, but I believe that that connection is also for our church. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to ask you to prayerfully consider that, and Kathy and Daniel will be out in the foyer after church, and if you want to talk to them about how you might be able to further connect with them, I'm sure they'd be happy to connect with you about that, all right? Be blessed and have an awesome week. Thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Pastor John. Thanks so much. We appreciate it. Great.